Hello again, this is Farron on Film and welcome back to the first instalment of our franchise series and part 2 of mine and Sam's discussion on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you've missed part 1, go back and check out our dissection of phase 1 and phase 2 of the MCU. For now, let's get back into the chat. And once again, these episodes were recorded as one conversation over a video conferencing app, so I can only apologise for any distortion or difference in the usual audio quality. Alright, so now we're going to pick it up with phase 3. Um, yep. So the last or the most recent films that have been released. So this is starting with Captain America Civil War. Yep. So obviously the development of Civil War began quite late on after they'd done Winter Soldier and things like that. Um, they wanted to conclude the trilogy of Captain America films, so that being Russo's and Marcus and McFeely. And to me, this was this was massive, I felt. I felt like this kind of, this trumped, Age of Ultron, and I think that might be a reason why it doesn't get enough kind of views and enough kind of plaud at Age of Ultron, because I remember at the time, do you remember Tumblr? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had, I had a Tumblr at the time, and I'd put together this kind of graphic, this kind of infographic of all the characters and all the actors that were going to be in Civil War, and I just posted it up, and it was like, Civil War is going to be massive, and I put a couple of tags on it. It went mental. People, like, retumbled it or whatever it was that you did. They kind of reblogged it, and it just went on and on and on for ages. And I just remember thinking the budget for that film has got to be massive for all the people that they've gone in it. So, like, yeah, so, I mean, you've got, everyone's in it. Everybody is in it. And for me, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I think Civil War is a really good one. Um it's a long one. I feel like it is a bit of an epic film, um, but you've got so many little different things going on here. So you've got the kind of like where Captain America is kind of leading his own little team, um, where we bring Bucky back into it, where we bring Winter Soldier back into it. And then the big idea here that actually our main two heroes, Iron Man, Tony Stark, Captain America, Chris, uh, Steve Rogers, are going to have pretty much an argument that breaks up their relationship for the foreseeable future. Um, have you read the Civil War comic? No, no. So I um, I picked it up knowing that Civil War was coming. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to read it because I know that a lot of people said that actually it's only using the title Civil War and it's not actually got a lot of the same storyline in it. And people were saying, well, how are you going to do civil war without having spider-man in it because obviously at the time people just assumed that it couldn't happen so i i bought it i read it and it's a really good comic but it is a different story so the idea of the civil war story is that it's the same kind of thing tony stark is wanting people to do this but the idea is that it's the superhero registration act or i think it's tony stark that's wanting to know in the comics um so the idea of the registration act is that you have to sign something that allows everybody to know your true identity just in case something happens and in order to keep people safe. And right. one big kind of turning point and one big thing that happens in it is Spider-Man goes onto a stage and just takes his mask off and says, I'm Peter Parker and I'm signing this thing. And the civil war comes from the fact that, no, the identity should be kept a secret because obviously you need to protect yourselves as well as protecting everybody else. Whereas in the film, they've taken it a little bit differently. And the idea is that it's it's to do with superheroes being... I'm, I'm trying it's to think of... Accountable yeah, for it's accountable, isn't it? Yeah, so it's accountable for the things that they've done. And is what, what motivates that, isn't it? Yeah, so the Sokovia Records and all that kind of stuff. And 
it's good. It's interesting. It's really interesting because, and I think we'll come back to this when we do Infinity War and Endgame, you can actually see both sides of the story. You can actually take both sides and agree with both sides and disagree with both sides. Yeah. Um, and to me, I think it's one of the best acted of the Marvel films. And I think it's one of the best put together of the Marvel films in terms of action and all that kind of stuff. And the one thing that kind of irks me about it is I feel like Spider-Man was shoehorned in. And the reason why I think that Spider-Man was shoehorned in is because, yeah, I don't think in an early version of this script, I think maybe in an early version he would have been included in it, and then they might have gone to Sony to try and get the rights for him, told no, and then they rewrote it, and they were going with that one. But then as they were in production, someone would have gone, oh, you can have Spider-Man for a bit if you want. And then all of a sudden now he's back in it because he is only in it in that final scene apart from the one where obviously Tony Stark goes to go and pick him up from from New York. Yeah. And the reason why I feel that way is because there was a a first trailer that came out and obviously Spider-Man's not in it. And then there was a second trailer that came out where you have the kind of underoos and Spider-Man drops down and says, oh, hi, guys. And I'm wondering how much of it was filmed before Spider-Man got there. I'm wondering how much they had to go back and do as reshoots. I'm wondering how much of Spider-Man that we see is actually just CGI and thrown in rather than Tom Holland actually being there and him only doing the voice afterwards. But I suppose, really, that's just a bit of a nitpick in terms of like production and stuff. What do yeah. you think of it? So I think Civil Wars, I think they get back to the best Marvel mm. here. Uh, like I said, phase two could have been a bit flat. You could consider that maybe overall. I think they get back to a strong foundation here. It's a good film. They do action really well. Everything you said, I agree with. I think that it, it's got a good flow. But what what what's good about this story is it does go a little bit deeper in the sense that you've got these two heroes. And what it challenges is normally the heroes are always getting along. And there's normally this thing where they always come together. But the, there's a real divide amongst the, the group. And that's good to see play out a little bit because it's a little bit different. And then how that goes a little bit further because you've got people morally who's watching the film who'd be on the side of Tony and people maybe who would be thinking the same as Steve, you know, in terms of should they be doing the right uh, signing this or not signing it. And then as it gets more deeper, it starts to uncover more. And then it gets really, really hard then at the end with Bucky, um, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers in terms of his parents um, and then that that's quite powerful at the end because it, it's sort of like a there's no turning back it, between Steve Rogers and Tony Stark at the end of that one. Um, so played really well. It, it was yeah. a good film, really good. I enjoyed it throughout. That's the big thing, I think, the whole idea of th- this kind of relationship between Tony and Steve and Steve knowing the truth about Tony's parents and all that kind of stuff and it hanging over his head. Now, something that's caused a bit of controversy recently is... Yeah the whole thing about Captain America lifting Thor's hammer almost in Age of Ultron, you know, where it wiggles a little bit. (laughs) And people are thinking, and this is the one that I prefer, and this is the one that I think is actually true, is that Steve knew that he could lift it, but because of just who he is and he he didn't want to embarrass Thor or anything like that, he just left it. But then apparently there was a kind of watch party on Twitter for Endgame, and someone said to the Russo brothers, what happened with like Mjolnir at this point and whatever, why did Steve choose not to actually lift it? And one of them said, oh, it's because he's not worthy at that point because he still had the secret of Tony Stark's parents dying. 
Now everyone's read that and gone, what a load of crap that is. That's yeah. not believable at all. And I'm not, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, to be honest. Why? I don't, I, I think it's because. It's a dirty secret. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a dirty secret, but if you think about the Marvel films in terms of like when they happened and when they were produced, Joss Whedon wrote Age of Ultron. Maybe he's got the answer to it as the reason why he didn't actually lift it properly. And then you've got the directors of this different film who have just put this storyline in about um, t- uh, Steve Rogers knowing this secret, and they're trying to pin it together. So maybe pin it together quite well. I mean, do you think? I think so. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, as I mentioned earlier on in the last podcast, um, that Steve is the moral compass of the group, and yeah. it's a bad secret to have that in that film. Like you can understand where Tony's coming from at the end of that film, and. Um, yeah, he's not worthy of lifting that hammer. No chance. You, if he's if he's meant to be like the moral compass of the group, you've got to be like sort of pure within or whatever. Mm. That's not a secret to have because like that's painful for Tony, isn't it? Because you know it's his it was his family, so I think it's um, I think it's worthy. I think it's a good excuse by the Russo brothers. The only way you're going to find out is ask, is asking Joss Whedon himself. Um, but yeah. you don't know yeah. if he might have they might have discussed that in a room creatively. And then you just thought, yeah, that's a good idea, Josh. Right. And then, and then they passed it on to the Russo brothers. You don't know that either, but yeah, no, fair enough. But you're not buying it, are you? You think it was you think <laughs> it was on the side. I like the I just like the idea that he's going, Oh no, I'm not gonna embarrass me, mate. I'll leave it there. I'll wiggle it a little bit and get him worried. You know. Squeeze and all that kind of stuff. As well, maybe because they know Steve's like got a good heart. You know yeah. what I would with him. It's a little bit of a tease, like as in like he can move it a bit because he's 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 purer than the rest of them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's safe to say that we're both fans of Civil War then. Yeah, good film. Yeah. Uh, so mid credit sequences and all that kind of stuff. So mid credit scene for Shadows Black Panther, which was I I found this quite interesting. So Steve Rogers watches Bucky Barnes go back into cryostasis uh, thanks to T'Challa, who granted them his asylum in Wakanda and a cure for Barnes's mental programming. And then the very last one was foreshadowing Spider-Man Homecoming. So Peter Parker rests on his bed as Aunt May inquires about his black eye, he inspects his web shooters, and then they emit a spider-shaped symbol. I think in terms of end credit scenes, they're probably two of the best. I think Civil War maybe got two of the best the, to foreshadow where they were going to go afterwards. Well, the anticipation was huge for Spider-Man, I'm sure, at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, immensely people were so eager to see what Marvel were going to do with Spider-Man. Because I think at this point, Marvel had a reputation of, to making things into gold, basically. Mm. And at, at this point, definitely, it was, like, so high. You were thinking, wow, what are they going to do with Spider-Man? You know, they've done it in Civil War, but what would a standalone film look like? So yeah. anticipation at that time was high to see what they'd do there. Uh, so next one, then. Um, Doctor Strange. So another new one, yeah. another new year. Um, this, was, this was interesting, I thought. Um, so apparently... It had been in development since 1980s. Yeah. That's mental, isn't it? It is when you think about it, but I'm just so glad they didn't bring it out then either, because it would have, like, probably been there. It's like when you think of Captain America 97. I'm not having it. Yeah, no, that's true. I'm not um, having it. So apparently they, they hired people to write a screenplay in 2010. And in 2014, Scott Derrickson, who he directed the film Sinister. I'm showing you you've seen Sinister because you're a big horror fan. Yeah. 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 Um, so they got him in and he directed it. And then eventually Cumberbatch was chosen. Again, I feel like this is another one of those moments of 
a perfectly cast character. Yeah, I do as well. I think uh, Benedict plays it well, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't argue. The, the cast, some of them you just know it makes sense. And mm. yeah, I agree. He plays it so well. Uh, he does the arrogant side at the start really well. Um, and then obviously when he comes full circle, but he plays the doctor really well. More about the mental side of it. It's perfect for um, Benedict's character. But I think if you look at um, the people who cast him, probably watched a little bit of Sherlock. And, oh, you know, right. probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they probably thought, I can see a little bit of that in Doctor Strange. And, and maybe that's where the um the influence came from because he you know he plays that sort of same role doesn't he he's very superior intellectually when it when he comes to it so yeah super i'm not this we're going to come back to this later on again obviously i'm going to end the kind of part two with our hidden gems and all that kind of stuff but i didn't pick dr strange as my hidden gem but i was toying between this one and the one that i actually went with um, right because I, I do feel like for me it's got massive scope in terms of like the world that it lives in so similar to what you were saying last podcast about thor and all that kind of stuff that you can yeah. see this kind of open world to it um the old scene where i can't remember what the thing's name is where he is it dormammu or dothmammu where he says i'm here to bargain and then he Dormammu. kills him and he's back and he's yeah and he goes i'm here to bargain back and forth back and forth back and forth so, <laughs> he just annoys him <laughs> yeah, that's it and he's just like right fine i'll give it to you yeah he's just annoys him that's it yeah yeah um and i mean like so we've mentioned about the supporting characters which seem to keep getting right as well and the supporting actors chuatel for in there as well he's really good and uh, mads mickelson mads mickelson is the villain you know that they're pulling in the big names at this point like i've said they're at the peak of the strength and they can choose pretty much whoever they want because so many good people you're forgetting rachel mcadams as well um tilda swinton tilda swinton is the asian one yeah do you know what I mean? I mean, they're, yeah. pu- they're pulling in whoever they want here. Mm. Um, the, the actors, it helps, doesn't it? It doesn't it help? Yeah. It helps yeah. because so many people who want to be involved in the films, they've got the pick of who they can who they can choose from. They're not struggling to cast people. They've got so much choice, so it yeah. helps massively. Um, but I think they've had to be careful with who they pick, and I think again, they're very good at choosing the right ones. That's why I think that does uh, does Kevin Feige have any influence? Or is it the director who's picking them? Because there seems to be consistency across the board. You know, he's a bit of a a Marvel nut, isn't he? So he must have some sort of influential decision on on certain actors maybe taking the role, maybe. I don't know. But I I feel like there's a little bit of smarts going on in terms of actors and things like that. Because if you can see at this point, so Doctor Strange was the 14th film of the Marvel franchise. You knew that if they were going full steam ahead, there was no sign of stopping. There isn't any sign of stopping. If your agent comes to you and says, are you interested in being in a Marvel film? Number one, you say, yeah, because they know that they're going to pay well. And number two, say, yeah, because if they decide that they need you for a sequel, they have to pay you a retainer because the idea of a retainer is that it stops you from doing something else massive and then you wouldn't be able to work the sequel. Mm-hmm. So while that's going on, you're still getting paid. Now, obviously, like Tilda Swinton's popped up again in Endgame. Wong is up in again in Endgame and Infinity War and all that kind of stuff. So the, it's, you, you have to try and be smart with it there, I think, a little bit. And that's yeah. why you're getting all these people back and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I must say, though, I wanted to know more about um, Dormammu, was it? The baddie. Uh, yeah. He's supposed to be this sort of like ultimate evil, isn't it? Like pretty yeah. much 
unstoppable, unstoppable. So you were talking about building up to Thanos. This guy doesn't get enough airtime because he's from this dark dimension. You know, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Like, I know they end up, they don't stop him in the end. They just sort of annoy him and then he bugs off. But like, this guy's meant, he, he should be bigger than Thanos, wouldn't he? I feel like we might get that in the sequel, maybe. Yeah, because there weren't enough airtime about this huge evil. So, yeah, but I, I love all that sort of stuff, mate, because they do the special effects so nice. Do you see all the colours and stuff when he ends up appearing? I mean, yeah. it's magical. magical. Uh, next one, then, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, no doubt a sequel was going to happen. I think they were almost writing it before it even the first, first one even came out. Yeah. So, James Gunn chose to set the sequel shortly after the first film to explore their new roles as Guardians. Um, and they follow the storyline of Peter. Uh, it is Peter Quill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Uh, his father. Um, so in this Kurt one again, talking about Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, talk about massive actors that they're getting in, and Sylvester Stallone. How has that hair survived with Kurt Russell? He's still got the. He's still got the sort of hair that he had in sort of like. Well, it's different color, but like you know, Escape from LA or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still got it, hasn't he? Um, what do you think? What do you think about Guardians? Number two, uh, yeah. weaker than the first one. I have to, yeah. I have to be honest. I have to point that out. It's weaker than the that. first one um, because I know people can get swept up in the Guardians wave. But if I've got my sort of critical hat on, it is, it is weaker than the first one. It's still good though, and I, I really love um, Michael Rooker's character. Um, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah, Yondu is is makes it really good in terms of the comedy aspect. It's as good as ever, um, and I really like that. And it's good because it explores different themes. Like there's a little bit more between the sisters' relationship, you know, Thanos's girls. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice to explore some other things, and it's good to get an origin to Peter Quill because it doesn't explain 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 sorry why he can hold that stone at the end of the first uh, Guardians of the Galaxy because he's half god. Um, that's why he can hold it without dying. You know, at the end, when uh, yeah. they're trying to defeat Roman. So yeah. that explains the first bit. one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the downside to it was um, it was just a bit more kid-friendly, I think. That's probably what it was. I think, I think that's yeah. probably my only downside. Like, it's it, it's a decent story, and, and Kurt Russell, it's more comedy-based, really. Like, when he's trying to take over the world and stuff, and... I just think, nah, mate. There's more. There's more. There's more uh, enemies out there that are bigger than you. I know he's like a celestial or whatever, but he never really yeah. like makes me think that he's that menacing. He, he just makes me smile really because he's so funny. Um, because he's he's not like a menacing baddie, is he? He's just like, don't worry, like we're just gonna start oh, a new yeah, world. Yeah, it's just it's it's like it's that vibe of like it's all cool, man. Don't worry. And then it's like, yeah, he's vibe in there. Um, yeah. As well, what cracked me up is um, when. They find out that he's just been mating with like everything across the galaxy <laughs> <laughs> to see what sticks, basically, to see who can like hold the celestial power. And I just think basically he's been working his way around. <laughs> he just he's like a just a manhole, basically, going around the, the galaxy, just having a great time, and then <laughs> disposing of his kids. So the Austin powers of space. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, it was good seeing Kurt Russell in that film. Because um, he started, he came back into the Fast and Furious franchises again, and then yeah. he did the he did the Christmas Chronicles as well. And uh, what's it? Is it Bone Tomahawk that he's oh, in yeah. as well? So he kind of had a resurgence, didn't he, around this sort of time? 
uh, maybe a little bit before. I'm sure he's always made films, but he sort of caught my eye again around these times because he was back in sort of yeah. the, the films and stuff. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a good film. Everything was good. Yondu was class. Um, just And Stallone, Stallone did really well. I was eager to see what Stallone would do because Stallone's actually, I think, underrated. Um, I know he writes a lot and I know his films are always boxing-based or something, but he's actually quite talented in his own way. Um and he's made plenty of money in the film industry, not for himself, but, I mean, you know, he's done all right, Stallone, considering. Um, and he, he did all right. He did all right. Go on. Did you watch Creed? Creed, yeah, I've seen Creed, yeah. I mean, he got a, I'm sure he got a supporting actor nomination for that or something. Yeah, he's done He's done really well, and not just looking at the Rocky films. Like, he's, he's always made, you know, he's, he's done all right, I think, Stallone, definitely. And I think people just put him down to that 90s era, just all... Action, you know, in the same box as Bruce Willis, uh, yeah. Arnie Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, maybe, you know, like the sort of Hollywood actors of the 90s, pure action. Mm. But he's shown that he can evolve a little bit past that. Um, and he's been in some sort of comedies as well. He's all right, yeah. I think he plays it yeah. quite well. Yeah, he does all right. Um, a couple of things that are certain in life, taxes, death, all that kind of business, and me forgetting to read the mid-credit sequences. So I'm going back again. I know, uh, man. I know, Jesus H. Right, uh, Doctor Strange. So, in a cut-down scene from Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange asks Thor why he brought Loki to Earth. Discovering why they are searching for Odin, Strange offers to help the condition that the three return to Asgard once their mission is completed. I thought that was good, to see Thor and Doctor Strange together. Especially the bit with the beer. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just Thor and, and they're having a bit of dynamic with some new characters, which works well. Yeah. Um, Kyle Mordo, which is Chiwetel Ejiofor's character, confronts Jonathan Pangborn and takes away his magic. Oh, actually, I might have got those two mixed up. Um, explaining that he's doing so because he could see at long last what's wrong with the world. There are too many sorcerers. So I feel like that's a, a maybe a lead into the sequel. Yeah, I, I thought the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guardians, then. Guardians had five mid-credit sequences. I don't remember these. Five. I, yeah, I remember some of them. So in a pre-credit scene, uh, somebody tries to use the arrow, so Yondu's arrow, only to run away after accidentally stabbing Drax in the sh- in the shoulder. Yeah, I seen that one. Yeah. Um, Yondu Yondu's old kind of gang get together and reassemble their old team. Uh, don't think seen that one. No. Aisha tells her chambermaid that she's creating a, a being capable of destroying the Guardians of the Galaxy, and decided to call her creation Adam. That's the gold thing. What? Now, a lot of, yeah, so what? a lot of people... Do you know what Adam is? I, I was confused of, by this. A lot of people are thinking that it's Adam Warlock, who Adam apparently is this kind of big ethereal character who might still come into it at some point. Do you know anything about him, then, as a character? Not really, just off of Google and stuff like that, yeah. But right. I think, in essence, he's, an, he's another kind of created being, almost like Vision is, I suppose. If I've got that massively wrong, someone's going to tell me, aren't they? But, you know. Why is he such a big character in the universe? What does he do? Is he involved with the Avengers? Is he a baddie, a goodie? What is it? Um, from what I remember having a look at, and I'm just going to do it now as well while we're chatting, is that yeah. I, I, th- I think he ends up joining them at some point. But I'm sure that someone's convinced that Christian Bale has been cast for Thor, Love and Thunder. People think yeah. that Bale's going to end up being Adam Warlock. Um whether that happens or not, I don't know. Whether or not that's linked in well enough, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, obviously a fictional character. Apparently he's got history with Fantastic Four. Uh, 
Right. Um, team affiliation. So he's he's part of Guardians of the Galaxy. So maybe it's going to be something that comes up there, and that he's down as an artificially created human or a cosmic being. Mm-hmm. Super superhuman strength, speed, agility, durability, fight, energy manipulation, absorption. Uh, yeah. Is it, it, what I can read here? It says that he's not a. He's he's like a what do they call him in Star Trek? Spock's character. What they got a Vulcan. He's, a, he's yeah. got no good in him. He's just a creature made of logic. Well, the interesting thing is, so I've just clicked on the biography, and the first paragraph is that um, initially he's referred to as him, and after he's rebelled against his creators, he has a conflict with Thor, and that's why he ends up leaving Earth and travels to space. So maybe he might he might end up being that he's, he pops up in Thor first. Hmm. That's interesting. Because um, obviously yeah. now Thor's... Thor's roaming around with the Guardians anyway, so I'm assuming there's going to be some crossover there. What's your thoughts on Christian Bale being part of this universe? For me, Bale's like a method actor. I couldn't, I couldn't normally imagine him signing up to a film like this, to be honest. It's a bit weird, isn't it, that he'd, just, he'd kind of just drop in and do something completely different, but yeah, why not? Everyone else is doing it. Yeah, everyone else is doing it, actually. That's a good yeah. point. Um, right, last two for Guardians then. So Peter Quill walks in on an adolescent-sized Groot playing a video game and shows yeah. his disgust over the vines that Groot has shed all over the room. Groot responds in a mocking tone, further annoying Quill. Saying that. Yeah. And then the last one, the Watchers walk away from their informant as he implores them to stay and listen to his adventures. And that's um, Howard the Duck again. Oh, yeah. yeah I love so he, he pops back up. Love him. Uh, right, so... Next one, then. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. So, February 2015. So, again, like I mentioned before, the same year as Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel and Sony reached a deal to share the character rights of Spider-Man, integrating him into the established MCU. The following June, Holland was cast as the title character, and they began re- writing a screenplay, um, which also included Tony Stark in it as well. Uh, yeah, and then they tried to make efforts to differentiate it from other Spider-Man films. I really like Homecoming. What did you, what year did you say Homecoming? Was it not 2017, that one? Yeah. All right, okay. I thought you said 2017. No, they announced everything in 15. 15, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I liked it, and it's Michael Keaton's back in it. That's uh, really... I mean, Michael Keaton... Have, have you watched Spotlight? Yes, you told me to watch Spotlight. Yeah. I watched yeah. it on your recommendation about them tracking the priests and things. Yeah, well, yeah. did you like that? Really good, mate. Really, really good. Cracking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Um, I think Michael Keaton is just great, isn't he? Yeah, Michael. Do you know what I always worry, though? Do you know with Michael Keaton? I've just got this intrigue. What do you think he'd be like in real life? Like, not in the film. He's got, like, a way with him, but do you reckon he'd be friendly? It's weird. I do. Sometimes I think of him immediately as being intense. I can imagine being like prickly. Um, Yeah, yeah. I do feel like. I feel like some. I feel like I've seen him doing different things, and think actually he's probably really cuddly. I, I, it may be, but he always comes across like he'd be prickly. Him, if you've seen him in real yeah. life, he'd be like leave me alone, sort of thing. Like he'd be dead mean. I don't know. <laughs> That's just. I, I always get the same vibe with Kevin Spacey as well. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, well, nowadays Kevin Spacey. Oof. Kevin Spacey, like you're around to his house now. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought Tom Holland kind of cracked it as Spider-Man. Um, I liked the idea that they were going to kind of 
almost ease us in by having Tony Stark pop up every now and again. Um, I liked the idea of him being gifted a suit and then Tony saying that you need to earn it and all that kind of stuff. It was it was almost like a passing of the torch between Iron Man and Spider Man. Um, again, I think he's got quite a good ensemble cast with MJ and Ned and all that kind of stuff. The the teachers that they've got, which really kind of came into their own in Far From Home. What did you make? I think his new, his new aunt. Uh, I think she looked. I think at first I thought she's a bit young. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but actually, for for how young, it makes me believe that Tom Holland is younger because yeah. I feel like as much as I grew up with the Sam Raimi and the Tobey Maguire and all that kind of stuff, he was too old to be playing a teenager. <laughs> and then I think Andrew Garfield was younger still, but too old. Yeah. Um, but I mean, go, I'm not, I know we're not talking about them, but the Amazing Spider-Man films, like the second one's absolute bob. I quite like the first one. I think the first one did some things really well. But just having uh, bleeding Martin Sheen and Sally Field as Uncle Ben and Aunt May was just perfect casting. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for this one, for Homecoming, the, the thing that I like the most about it is it felt like a John Hughes film. It's not like one of those old style teen comedy type films, and I feel like they did that really well. I thought they did a good job with the casting. Tom Holland was a big uh, comic book fan, Spider-Man fan as well, actually. So he's had a real love for the role, so he plays it with meaning, I think, because he, he's invested already. The comedy yeah. aspect is really good. He gets Spider-Man down to a T in terms of that more youthful Spider-Man. Um, my only question was Aunt May being a bit young, but she plays it quite well. Um, and then with them bringing Tony in, they, they bring a new dimension to a Spider-Man film, which is that Tony's like his mentor, isn't it? So, like, that's a new dimension that they bring in. And obviously we know how that plays out as it goes to the, the end films, but yeah. which we'll get to. But I think that's a nice little thing that they bring in, a new dimension that Tony sort of brings him into that world. Like in the other films, he creates his own gadgets and things, but he gets them from Stark Industries, doesn't he, really? Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is a bit um, different. So the end credits then for Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Toomes encounters Mac McGarg- or Matt Gargan, I'm not sure who that character is, uh, in prison and learns that he has friends looking to kill Spider-Man. Before being confronted with a rumour about him knowing the young who the young crime fighter is, Toomes denies knowing Spider-Man's true identity and, and leaves to see his family. Um, I think that was almost hinting at Sinister Six. Because that, that was something that the Amazing Spider-Man films tried to do as well. Um, and then the final one is that Captain America public service announcement where uh, it says, oh, so you're in detention or, you know, all that kind of stuff that the memes yeah. have come from. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a bit of a cheap, a chirpy one. Do you think that them bringing back Spider-Man paid off? You know, like there was this anticipation about what Marvel would do with Spider-Man. Do you think that in the end they did it justice? Yeah. Because I do feel as well that maybe Sony themselves were worried about what they were going to do with Spider-Man next. But yeah. do you do you just go back to the drawing board again? Because the whole idea of Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man is that that was going to be a kind of big thing for them and they were going to build their own kind of sort of other MCU, get all the Sinister, Sinister Six in, bring Tom Hardy over from Venom and all that kind of stuff. And then pff, it didn't happen, did it? So, no, no. 
But no, I, I think Tom Holland is a really good Spider-Man. And to be honest, I think he might be my favourite Spider-Man. He's good in it. And and yeah. I think he's likeable outside of the, the film universe. There's loads of videos of him like, you know, just um, he's made like little errors and stuff. And he's, oh. he's funny outside of, um, outside of filming, isn't he? I did that quiz that he did on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and it was like car crash. <laughs> He meant it so well. With, I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's so, it comes across. It's so enduring because he meant so well. So he's on like a thing like like we are now, and um, he's he's reading the questions on the piece of paper, right? First thing he says is, "I realise that it goes back to front, and I can't write them all the other way." So then, as he lifts the question up, he's written the answer on the back, so everyone watching can see it. <laughs> and then his brother walks in and he goes, "You're showing everybody the answer. You've done it for the first five questions." Oh, it's man. like, what is this going on about? Um, he just at that moment, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, next one, and I think this is probably my favourite kind of stream of Marvel films. I think they kind of knocked it out of the park one after the other year. So we've starting with um, Homecoming, especially. Uh, 17th film of the Marvel MCU is uh, Thor Ragnarok. Now, uh, so Ragnarok was Taika Waititi coming on board to direct it after Alan Taylor decided not to. They then put Hulk in this one as well. Apparently, they were going to try and bring elements of Planet Hulk in, or they did do, because, again, I'm not familiar with that kind of strand of story. Yeah, um, I loved Ragnarok. Um, it surprised me. It surprised me so much because I didn't expect to laugh that much at a Thor film than I well, did. Do you not feel like they started moving Thor towards that way. I think Chris Hemsworth has had a say in some of this as, as time's gone on. Right. Thor's a bit more serious in the first film and then a bit less in the second film. And then eventually, he, even though it's a serious film at times, it's more comedy, isn't it? You don't yeah. get that vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's more of a comedy sort of aspect to it. And then it gets even worse then when he gets into the Marvel in, um the end game and infinity war because he get puts like loads of uh, weight on and stuff like that so uh, there's two angles to go with that some people thought that's just brilliant and that's genius and then some people said he, he went a little bit too much comedy yeah but that's just a debate amongst people who watch the films this was a, a a great film uh really really funny for me jeff goldblum as the grandmaster yes yes uh, jeff jeff goldblum I mean, fantastic in this film, and and he's just get he's just himself really in in some ways. He is just playing himself, isn't he? That's the thing. I just love him. Like Jeff Goldblum in that film is really good as the Grandmaster. Um, yeah. Thompson is it um, as Valkyrie? Um, oh she, yeah, she's good. She does a really good job, and you can tell they bring her in there as like going to be a permanent member of the the cast and. Kate Blanchett, I mean, she's a massive actress, like, if not one of the biggest for females in terms of her career. And she comes into the universe, does a great job. And what I liked about this is they actually say goodbye to Anthony Hopkins, don't they? And Mm. what's really interesting is, and no one seems to talk about this that much, but when you you find out, because it's it's Hella, isn't it? So it's a sister of Thor. Mm-hmm. And you actually find out that Odin was a bad man, pretty much. Yeah, he designed yeah. that, but only because like they destroyed so many things and Hela was the one who did all of that. It kind of gets like wiped over a little bit that there was some serious crimes committed, but Odin's always seen as this like cuddly granddad, but <laughs> he like, committed some major crimes. Yeah. Uh, 
And I suppose Hella's only guilty because she comes back and she's just consistent. She's just like, are we not doing it again? Yeah, and this it's is like, where we oh, were, yeah, yeah. We've changed, we're different now. And it's like, well, what about the thousands that died beforehand? So that doesn't really get mentioned that much, but no. really good, really good For me, it's, uh, it's Korg. It's created one of my favourite characters out of a lot of them. And it's just when um, he, he goes down into the dungeon and he yeah. says, we, we, we started a revolution. And he goes, all right, so what happened to the revolution? He said, I didn't print enough pamphlets. So only my mum turned off. Do you know the voice of that? Is that the director? Uh, yeah, it's Taika, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is one of these things that's made me go back and watch some of like Taika's stuff. So he did a film called What We Do in the Shadows, which is really good. Um, yeah. I've been meaning to watch um, a film called Hunt for the Wilder People that he's done, but I've not got around to watching it yet. But he did, he did Georgia Rabbit that I know that we spoke about earlier in the year. Yeah, you liked that, didn't you? A lot. I've yeah, not seen it. it. Oh, watch no. it, mate. Yeah, it's really good. Because um, yeah. I was, I was just looking at then actually that I'm, I'm surprised that Taika didn't write it. He only directed this, but it's definitely got some of his sens- sensibilities about it. And what? I know that he's go on. What, what's the um, what we do in the shadows? I've seen that advertised. Is it about what's that about? It's about vampires, but what it is, is it's almost like a mockumentary type thing. Right. They did a film version of it, which is what he did, and then it's been picked up as a TV series now that's on BBC Two. I thought so. I thought so. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, Mm -hmm. So Taika's coming back and doing the next Thor as well, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. um, Because I'm going to obviously follow that trend through. Well, I was reading that he personally persuaded uh, Portman to sign back on again. Uh, Fagin said that he spent an hour with her at a, at a meeting and she she signed on. So whatever he said must have been quite uh, yeah. decent. Yeah. Um, so credit scenes then for Ragnarok. So in a mid-credit scene for Shadowing Infinity War, Loki visits Thor in his quarters and asks if Earth is going to be a good idea as a large spaceship approaches. And that was a good one, actually. That It kind of... It filled me with dread a little bit. That I was like, "Oh crap, this is it now." Yeah. Um, and then the very last one is the Grandmaster attempting to placate the citizens by declaring a revolution a draw, uh, which is just a funny one to end with. It's Jeff Goldblum. He's just he's he's great. He's great in that, isn't he? He's just the best. I love it when yeah. they get. Um, is it like he's he's ship or summer and it that song? <laughs> it's my birthday comes yeah, on. It's my birthday. Yeah, he's just the best. Yeah, really good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so again, what I meant about like a really good kind of follow string of films that we've got going here. Next one is Black Panther. Yeah. Well, I think this one broke all sort of records, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just because of it was different. It was um, a new direction, and it was a really good film. Uh, really popular. Um, when I put it, when the when we're at the end of a term and uh, or whatever. And uh, the kids have always wanted to put this one on. They really like it. So it's lasted the test of time. I think many people have watched it over and over. Uh, Cast is strong. Acting performance is really good. And uh, I've reached... What's the... um... What's the uh, actor called? I've just watched him in a new new film the other day. So what's his name now? Chadwick Boseman. Yes, I've just watched him in um, 21 Bridges. Oh, how's that? Because I've not watched that yet. That's on Amazon Prime. Um, it? It, just, it just come on, yeah. Um, he's good in that as well. So yeah. I don't know if you think the story will be as good, but he, he's pretty good, yeah. Right. I mean, Black Panther was really good. It was quite like an epic film as well because you're introduced to a brand new sort of world in Wakanda. So yeah. really good. And Michael B. Jordan, um, 
he's quite a, a villain. He's quite a good villain, isn't he? Oh, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He part really well. I mean, and then his, his motive is, is a good one as well in some ways because he's sort of the abandoned child. Um, but, yeah, he's quite... He's, he plays it really well, but then, mm. obviously... Yeah, good film. I liked it. And uh, they have... Um, who's Claw again? It's Andy Serkis, I think. Andy Serkis, yeah, yeah. I mean, coming back to, like, a good supporting cast, so you've got Andy Serkis, Martin Freeman's in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Angela Bassett playing his mum, all that kind of stuff. I mean, just from the research that I did before it, so Wesley Snipes, of all people, expressed interest to do this in 1992. Can you imagine that? Do you know what? I like Wesley Snipes, though. I, I think Wesley Snipes is cool. Like when in the, I mean, I'm probably not now, but when in the nineties, when he did Blade, like 1998, Blade, Blade was a yeah. cool film. Blade yeah. was cool, wasn't it? And then the second one was cool. The third one, mm, yeah. I, I mean, it was a good idea bringing Dracula into it, but I thought they made a right mess of it. Um, it had that guy from Prison Break in it as well, but nah, I didn't do it. The third one, but he's cool, Wesley Snipes, and he, <laughs> I was 32, he would have just made Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, with with Black Panther, obviously it broke all the records and all that kind of stuff, and it's become this kind of massive cultural thing. And it was the first one to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Endgame might have done that as well, but it didn't. Um, and yeah, it just became this this huge kind of thing. And I want I want to go back to something that I mentioned before or the last podcast about um, when they announced Civil War. So yeah. originally they'd thrown Captain America up on the screen and then they put Serpent Society underneath it, which yeah. made people, it had like a polite smattering of applause. And then that's when they then threw Civil War up and everyone lost their minds. Um, Robert Downey Jr. comes out as Tony Stark and then that was when they announced Black Panther. They, they brought Chadwick Boseman out because obviously yeah. it was in Civil War first as well. Um, but as a film, I think Black Panther's great. I think it's really good. I think the director as well, Ryan Coogler, is a really good director. He's the guy that did Creed and he did Fruitvale Station, which is a really good film if you've not watched that. No, um, and I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's coming back for the second one as well. So that'll be good as, again. And it, again, you know, made a ton of money. Um, right, number 19, big one, Avengers Infinity War. Mm. Uh, so film was announced in October of 2014 as Avengers Infinity War Part 1. Yeah. The Russo brothers came on board to direct in 2015 and they drew inspiration from the comic book series of Infinity Gauntlet and the 2013 book called Infinity. And then they shortened it to Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. Um, to me, MVP of this film is Josh Brolin as Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> I think for, for ages, and I know that we've mentioned that there's like there's some good characters in the other ones and you know, there's some good actors that have come in to play a good villain, but Thanos is the first time for an MCU villain that I thought, crap, like, look at him. And I actually believe him that he's going to go and do everything that he did. And then there was something afterwards, after I watched it, that I read, where they said the, the most frightening thing about Thanos is that he knows that anyone he gets who gets in his way, he can just kill them as, as simple as anything, but he's choosing not to. And that's the frightening thing about it. Um, he had a direct, uh, direction as a villain, didn't he? He had, he had like a, a weird warped sense of logic um, that some people were sort of like, hmm, that's an interesting take. But he wasn't just all out sort of menacing. He was quite intellectual, wasn't he, in the way he thought yeah. about things. 
Um, it's just some people were just like, what, what, why, why is 50% of the population being wiped out going to be a good thing? But that's how he's seen it. But he was so menacing, but in a sort of very calm and approached way, he very rarely lost his temper because he was so assured that he was going to crush someone like if he needed to. Um, yeah. and you didn't ever feel anyone could really challenge him at all. Um, that was the vibe going up to this film. So, I mean, what did you make of the film in terms of the scope? The thing, well, I remember watching it first time, and obviously we, we mentioned it before with the first Avengers film that they did it well in terms of balancing all the characters. I couldn't help but think the first time I'd watched it, because I don't know about you, but I always find this with films that I watch, that if you've seen a film that you've... If you're watching something that you've seen before, I, I feel like the time tends to pass quicker. And yeah. if it's the first time you're watching it, obviously you're kind of taking everything and everything's new to you. So there was a point around about the first hour of Infinity War where you'd gone from seeing Doctor Strange and um, Iron Man and all that kind of stuff, and Doctor Strange had been taken up on the ship, and we'd gone to Guardians, and yeah. I think maybe we'd seen a little bit of the stuff to do with Thor, and we might have gone, I think, maybe even to Edinburgh to see Vision and Captain America and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. then we cut back to Doctor Strange, and I just thought, it felt like so long ago that we just saw you get abducted by um, all Thanos' croonies and stuff like that, that it felt quite episodic in that yeah. it was almost like this could have been a separate episode of a TV show to the episode on Captain America and all that kind of stuff. Now, now that I've watched it over and over and over again a couple more times, that I don't have that issue anymore. It was just that first time where I thought there's too much stuff maybe going on at once here. But then that was right at the beginning before they started bringing like Guardians together with Doctor Strange and stuff like that, where it calmed down a little bit. I thought that, I mean, it was a massive task, this film. I mean, this it was always going to be difficult. To, I mean, it's always difficult to please everyone. I mean, this was the build-up of 10 years' work for Marvel Studios. And to come into some sort of climax, you've got a lot of people to please and a lot of characters that you've built over the last 10 years, and trying to put them all into one film must have been a massive, massive task. Plus, trying to come up with a decent story to tie everyone in. We know it can go wrong with Age of Ultron, which wasn't terrible, but it weren't the best. They do a very good job for me, I yeah. think. They do a really good job with what they have to deal with and trying to bring it. It was a hard thing to do. I think they do a really good job. I think the characters come across really well. The story's really good. I actually preferred this in some points to Endgame. Um, just, I can't tell you why. I just think because, maybe it's because so the film ends so bad that Endgame, really, you're left in that lull for a large part of the film. Um, but it was a good film, this. Really yeah. good. And especially yeah. that battle they have with Thanos and they all try to work together to get on top of him and sort him out. Yeah, good it worked well for me. It was a good way I enjoyed this yeah, one. No, to, to be honest, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I'm just going to go back a bit and then I'm going to come back to Infinity War because I forgot mm -hmm. the Black Panther credits. Yeah. Um, so mid-credits for Black Panther, T'Challa travels to Vienna International Centre with Nikia, Okoye and Ayo and speaks before the United Nations and says that Wakanda will now open its borders and utilise its resources to help the wider world. Um, yeah. And then the last one, uh, Shuri visits Bucky Barnes, um, who's walking up from his sleep and all that kind of stuff. And then that links into Infinity War. Because um, I didn't mention as well, I, I use Black Panther and Infinity War to teach uh, for film studies. Oh, so, wow. Because what we do is, paper two, we have questions on representation and narrative. So my big idea is that we'll do it over a term 
but you have to introduce the students to something that they're familiar with first. So we watch Black Panther first for representation. So we talk about the representation of black people, the representation of the culture of Africa, all that kind of stuff. We use yeah. the end credit sequence of, do you agree that they're allowing to open their doors to the rest of the world for Wakanda? What do you think that would do for a potentially uh, perceived third world country? And then uh, for Infinity War, we look at narrative. So the idea of all of these characters are all at the same time doing all these different things. How can we map that? Who are they in terms of like, traditionally, you should only have one hero in a film, but we've got 16 here or something like that. You know, yeah. how does that all fit and work together? Um, but in terms of me watching it at the cinema, I remember this was a frustrating one because we could only get tickets for like the Saturday morning or something. And it came out on Thursday. So trying to avoid spoilers was just chaotic anyway. Did you um, manage? Well, I, this is the thing. I kind of managed. I managed more than I did for Endgame, but I'll come to that when we look at Endgame. With um, this one, I had um, a lad in my film class who said to me, "Sir, Black Panther dies in End in uh, Infinity War," and I was like, "Whatever. No, you're not. You're lying. You know, because he's got his he's got a second film coming out. That can't happen. He's only just had a film." Yeah. And then. When there's a bit towards the end of Infinity War where Tony Tony Stark gets stabbed by Thanos, yeah, and I thought, oh, that's it, that's him done. Christ, if you know they're killing him off the first one, I was convinced for ages that because they were splitting it into two, the only way that Infinity War could end is by Thanos getting the last stone from Vision, and then having all six, the film ending, and then we go into Endgame with how he's using all six. That's what exactly that, what I thought. I thought the exact yeah. same. I thought that, mate, yeah. The fact that not only does he click his fingers, but half of the superhero team just disappear into thin air. I, I, I mean, I cried. I'm not going to lie. I, I cried. Like I didn't expect that at all um, no. when he did that. I mean, that was... I mean, th there were some moments with uh, Spider-Man. He tries... I mean, Spider-Man disappears in front of Tony's face, doesn't he? But I think people predicted it quite well in that Tony was coming to the end, if not in this film, one of the films. Tony seemed to be the first one who got the 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 sort of, I think he'll be killed off. Do you not think? Iron yeah. Man was, I don't know where that vibe came from. I don't know if sort of Robert Downey Jr. maybe alluded to the fact he's not going to be doing another one or whatever, but it seemed to be a hot favourite that Iron Man would be the one to go. It was that sense of finality though, isn't it? Because I do feel like these films feel like a big end to a yeah. lot of stuff that we've had. And similar to maybe like Dark Knight Rises, where the assumption was that maybe Batman was going to die at the end of that um, and all that kind of stuff and the kind of weird sort of playoff that you've got together of them. But um, no, I think it was it was the Peter Parker bit where he was saying like, I, I don't feel so good, da, 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 that kind of got me going. And yeah. I remember just sitting there and the fact as well that the credits are so somber, they're all just black text and white writing and whatever. I know it's a funeral, isn't it? Yeah, that that did that really well. And then as well that the they purposely only had one post credit sequence, which was the Captain Marvel bit, um, because I feel like if you jumped in with a mid credit sequence, everyone would have been like, no, 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 we've got to, we need time to process this. Yeah. Um So again, so the end credit sequence from Infinity War um, is obviously Nick Fury sends a distress signal to um, a pager. Um, yes. After he and Maria Hill kind of come to dust, and that is then the the Captain Marvel symbol. Um, yeah, that's uh, Brie Larson, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for me, I wasn't aware of Captain Marvel really before that, and I had to do a bit of a Google about what that symbol meant. 
it was a man originally that was changed to Bree Bree Larson's character. Was it? Is it a, a, a male in the comics? Is is that right? Or um, I'm not sure to be honest. I know there's a Miss Marvel in the comics as well, and quite well to be honest. It's played really well, uh, yeah. but. I th- like one, but they do this quite a lot, Marvel. It does get a bit confusing where they say this one's the most powerful being, or yeah. this is the most powerful being, or this is the most powerful being. It's very confusing. Who is the most powerful? That needs there needs to be a list of who is the most powerful because yeah. everyone needs to be. We just keep moving between the two. Yeah, like what happened to Dormammu? Yeah, where's he getting back? Yeah, um, is Marvel going to stop Captain Marvel going to stop uh, Dormammu? Yeah. Um, so after Infinity War, um, I feel like we get a bit of a drop now to um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So obviously, like, you know, they got everyone back. They got the director back and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I feel like this was a bit of a drop. And I feel like after Endgame, you know what I think would have been really good after Endgame? If we had a year to just gestate and do nothing and yeah. just kind of sit with it. But for whatever reason they had to bring up Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I think the only reason why this film sits where it does is because of the whole quantum time travel stuff. I think it serves no other purpose at all than being a kind of vehicle to get us to believe in time travel because they managed to do it in this film before and then throw in the end credit sequence where um, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, Wasp are all gone and there's just Ant-Man stuck in this machine. And we're like, right, well, how's he going to get out of there then? That's it. There's, and I think actually, if you were playing it smart money, you could have even put that end credit sequence in Endgame, in Infinity War, and it still would have worked well. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the film? I'm going to confess, this is the only Marvel film I have not seen. Oh, really? I've not seen this film. Why is that? I don't know, actually. Um, there's no specific reason of not going to the cinema or whatever to watch it. Yeah. I think there was just a, a point in time where I either couldn't get to the cinema or whatever, and I've just not got around to watching. And it's only this one. Um, and I actually really liked the first one. So it's not a, um, like a sort of thing where like, I don't fancy it. I do fancy it. It's just I never got around to watching it. So it was, what, 2018? I don't know what I was doing. I, think I might have just got married, I think, at that point. So there's a lot going on. But it's the only one that I haven't seen. So yeah, I mean, what it's what would you say? Is it better than the first one or no? No, no, no. 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 All right. So is it worth watching or? <laughs> um, I mean, there's some decent set pieces in it. There's some decent action sequences in it. But I, I feel like it was a bit of a meh. Was it? To be honest, yeah. Um, so I'm What's just gonna go on. It's called Hannah John Cayman, is it? Yeah. So the one from The Stranger. Yeah. yeah, the stranger, yeah. Yeah, so she's she's the the villain in this. But again, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne's in this one again. And it, uh, not again, but it was the first one that it was in. But it's like, I talk about a big actor that you're going to throw in a film like this. Yeah. Um, Michelle so, as well. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, we've got Michael Douglas again and, you know, all that kind of business. Um, so in terms of sequences at the end credits and all that kind of stuff. So mid-credits, uh, foreshadowing Avengers Endgame, hope. Van Dyne, Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym are watching Scott Lang in their harvest quantum particles and then they disintegrate due to Thanos' victory. And that, I mean, that was the one kind of reaction that I had from that film where it was like, oh, they've faded and that's, you know, where the, so this is clearly when that's happening, um, leaving Scott trapped in the quantum realm. And then yeah. right at the very end, um, there's a giant ant playing drums in Scott's house. Uh, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's just a bit like, yeah. Um, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Next one, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, what did you think of the casting first off? Uh, I like Brie Larson. I think she's good. I think she was very good in Room, if you've not seen Room. Um, that's a good film. I think... Yeah, no, I think it was good. I think, it, yeah, I think they've kind of got it right though as well. I think my issue with Captain Marvel is more of an end game issue, in yeah. that for some reason she just disappears, and they kind of they allude to the fact that obviously she's trying to look after the universe and not just Earth, whereas we're bothered about the Avengers being Earth's mightiest heroes, so they're kind of dealing with everything there, and the answer to the reason why she's not just here and doing everything really, really quickly because obviously we wouldn't have a film if she was able to do all that, is that she's off wherever she's off. I think my issues with it as well is, like, again, wh- why is she the most powerful? Like, when she gets her powers in this film, why does that make her invincible? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Cause... Like, Bean's out there. Like, what about Kurt Russell's character, for example, that was a god? Like, she kind of just merges with this these beans, but why is she the most powerful, really? Like, yeah. I mean... I enjoyed Samuel L. Jackson in it and the kind of de-aging technology that they used. I feel like they did that really well. He's always good in it. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, and this is a really crap anecdote. I had to watch this twice at the cinema and I had to watch it twice in the same week at the cinema because the the, the Saturday after it was released, me, yeah. Amy and a friend, so this friend of mine is notorious for um, kind of causing, getting me into bother and getting me into trouble and all that kind of stuff. Can she um, consider a friend? Eh? Can, she, can, can they consider them a friend then? Well, can yeah. You... you know, he's been around that long. Then yeah. Um, <laughs> I for the first for the first time, I never usually get hair fever, um, right. and for whatever reason, I was act, it was acting up for me anyway. And we went to go and pick him up at his house, and he said, "Have you had an antihistamine?" And I said, "No." And he went, "Right, I've got one here. You can have one of these." Right. So I took one. We goes into the cinema to go and watch it. I pretty much fell asleep during that film. From That's as, not soon, as soon as it started, right, all the way through, I wasn't actually asleep. Like my eyes were open, but I could not take anything in because it'd given me some kind of mega drowsy antihistamine, right? Whereas when we got in the car on the way back and Amy and him were talking about how like, they enjoyed it and whatever, I went, I can't remember anything that happened. The, the thing, I remember she was fighting Jude Law at the beginning and then I remember something about these scroll guys and I remember that Ben Mendelsohn was all of a sudden two people and Nick yeah. Fury was there and then at the end they're all fighting but I'm going to have to go and watch it again because I can't remember anything. I liked it. I thought it was a good film. I liked the 90s theme as well when she crashes through Blockbuster. Um, yeah, like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. They do really well. They've done it with Guardians and things and other other sort of things. Like I think um, the eighties theme with Wonder Woman two that's going to be coming out. That'd be interesting to see how they get that that mm-hmm. sort of vibe. But I thought she played it really well. Did yeah. it really well. The story was really good. It tied it up nicely that she was the missing key to solve and help with the Avengers. Um, and you know it was gaming up for that, but I didn't see Endgame going the way I thought it would. I didn't think the story would be what it would be. Yeah, I mean I enjoyed it when I went back and watched it the second time and actually understood what was going on. So yeah, I mean in terms of end credit sequences for that, I think we knew where we were all going towards Endgame. So there was a mid credit scene which foreshadows uh, Endgame, 
So Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff and Rody are speaking with Bruce Branner about the transmitter pager when Captain Marvel appears and demands to know where Nick Fury is. Mm. Um, and then the very last one is Nick Fury's office. Goose jumps onto his desk and following several attempts, regurgitates the Tesseract. Oh. Which was quite interesting. Different. Now then, here's the begin. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. So just to kick off, just to talk about the whole thing about the uh, title. So like originally this was Infinity War Part Two, and mm-hmm. they didn't reveal the title for ages. And I know that people, I think they, they revealed little teasers and stuff, and said that somebody in Infinity War actually says the title of this film, and then people cottoned on that it must be Endgame from what the Doctor Strange says, where he says we're in the Endgame now. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me. I have a love-hate relationship with this film. First yeah. and foremost, I love it. I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's my favourite out of all of them. Yeah. I've watched it a number of different times. And to kind of put it where I'm thinking of it in terms of a pedestal, I think this is my Empire Strikes Back. So in terms of like a film that I know the generation probably before us where they grew up with Star Wars and all that kind of stuff and Empire was this massive thing and everyone puts that on a pedestal and thinks it's one of the greatest of all time. For me, this is my Empire. And yeah. I think that comes from the final portal sequence where I remember just being in the cinema and the combination of Captain America calling for Meonia and using it for a little bit, um, portals, everyone coming back, the kind of massive thing and the fact that he finally gets to say Avengers Assemble it's just one big nostalgia crash for me and everything that I'd put into this film. The hate relationship I have of it is because I don't know how I would have felt going into that film had it not been spoiled for me. Yeah. Which is the issue. So, like, there's, there's, there's a few things in kind of, like, film and TV and stuff that I say to people that... The f- imagine the first time you watched something again. So, like the first Saw film, imagine the first time that you watched Saw, not knowing how it ended, and then Jigsaw stands up from the bathroom floor, or Dexter Series 4, because it ends on a massive twist. Imagine going back into that and watching it and not knowing how that ended. Yeah. It's like I'd gone into this with knowing two things, really. Now, the issue here is that there is a student, I'm not going to name him, I'll tell him you, Sam, when we finish this. Yeah. He became notorious for the Friday before, so the day before I'd gone to go and see it, he was notorious for the fact that he'd read the spoilers online and he was going around and he was telling everyone what was happening. And every time I saw him, I shut my classroom door and I wouldn't open it and I wouldn't let him in, right? And then there was a student who I still teach, who is still in my film class and is still in my media class, who knocked on the door and said that they needed me for something. I opened the door and said, spoiler kid was right there. And he went, Iron Man and Black Widow die in Endgame. Right? (laughs) And I sat here at home and I said to Amy, I said, I'm not going to tell you what I know, but some kid spoiled it for me and it's really annoyed me. And she went, just don't think about it. Just try not to think about it. Just try not to think about it. And to be fair, I kind of didn't until we got to the point where Hawkeye and Black Widow got to vote. I think it's Vormir for the Soul Stone. And I yeah. thought, right, well, I know where this is going then. And then um, I just thought, I just know that Iron Man's going to die at the end. Now, I still cried. I still cried like a bleeding baby from the point of Assemble and all the portal stuff and all that kind of stuff. 
But and the other thing that I kind of thought about and that I, I, I shrugged off as a massive lie and clearly this kid's just trying to annoy me. Kid in my form class, different kid. Thor's fat in Endgame. Thor's, Thor's really fat in Endgame. I thought, shut up. What are you talking about? You're just trying to say things to me to annoy me. And then I said it to Amy. No, I said it to Amy. I said, I don't believe him, but this kid said this to me. And then when we get to the point where... Um, Valkyrie says he only comes out every now and again for supplies and I saw the beer. I just turned to her and I went, what if he is fat? <laughs> and then like, oh, that's what ended up happening. <laughs> that was a good scene, that though, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, um, in terms of the film, like, I don't know about you, I found it really difficult to get tickets for this. This was mental. This was uh, absolutely mental. I think I did well, you know. I was I was in there. I got there. I got the tickets, no problem. But it's where you pick the tickets for. We didn't go into town. Uh, we yeah. I think we went local. Um, so I think it was either Bolton or or Wigan or something. And it was yeah. it was okay, but you had to get in there early. The film itself was, I suppose it was like the the the, the sort of climax to the whole ten year process. Again, very difficult to them for them to try and tick every box for everybody. Yeah. Um, clever. I think both of them did a really clever thing with both stories. They were just really good, and the, the end game wasn't how I thought it was going to be. Um, and like for the first bit of the film, like everyone was just in a bad way, um, and the world like it's like been a few. It's been a few years, hasn't it? It's been like four yeah. or five years. So yeah, I mean, they, they do a time jump, don't they? They go forward five years. Yeah. yeah, really sad to see what's happened. And Tony Stark's had a kid. So that, that builds up the, the the thing that, you know, oh, we could be going for an emotional ending here because he's got a kid, he's got a family. That's yeah. going to add in there. And then it was really clever how they went back through time to, to, to try and uh, sort it. But then that last scene with the Avengers Assemble, like it, that really is the moment of this is 10 years worth of graft. Here you go. Yeah. This is for the fans. Um, a few scenes where I just thought, are they just throwing that in there just because they can? Like There was a scene where... I felt like, I mean, it's not a bad scene at all, but you know, like there was a scene where they, they just get the women characters involved. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, but was it, I don't know if it's because the Me Too movement was going on at that point, but it was almost like, you know, just sort of girl power for a second, just to sort of, but I wish it is fine, but yeah. it's not sounds, just thrown in there because. It sound, yeah, it sounds bad to say it, but it feels forced, doesn't it? It felt forced, yeah, a yeah. little bit. It, it didn't really, it just sort of was thrown in just for that sequence. And there were characters that hadn't been in, but they were yeah. in just for that scene uh, yeah. because they were like, like Pepper Potts and, you know, little bits like that. Um, and I think they just kind of engineered that a little bit, but it wasn't bad at all. It did take away from the film. I just thought what was, what was, what was purpose was it serving in that, in terms of the story, but it didn't really make any huge difference. And it was, like I said, really good. And then obviously Iron Man dying was, I think, quite fitting. Uh, and again, like I said in the last podcast, he was the heart, not the moral compass, but when when the sort of even though he was a, a bit of an a hole in his attitude and he could be quite argumentative. When it counts, he sort of steps up, doesn't he? Yeah. And he did it in Avengers, and he's done it in in other ones where and and he and he steps up at that moment there. And I think that that that's really nice. That was a good ending for his character. And I think uh, Downey Jr wanted something special ending for his. And I think he got the, the ending that he really wanted. And, yeah, I think it worked well. The question is, with such a high and then such a low after that film, how are they going to be able to um, pick things up for Phase 4? Because, really, that's the 10-year plan. They're finished. 
And this is the, probably the biggest challenge that Marvel's going to face now. How do they keep it fresh? How do they keep it going? And not just that, how do they, are they going to do any more crossovers are there? And if they do crossover, what's it going to build to? Who's the main villain now? Because Thanos in the comics is the main villain. So it's almost like, who can you turn to now? I am really interested to see what they do because I feel like Endgame is such a massive kind of end point and that it's yeah. supposed to be that. And it's difficult to understand where it's going to go next. Because again, for me, I, I kind of forgot about it um, that we got Spider-Man Far From Home after this. I forgot about that, actually. Yeah, we did, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. And I just feel like if you were going to leave Endgame for anything, you'd, you'd, you'd give a gap, wouldn't you? You'd kind of wait a little bit. Um, but just going back to Endgame really quickly, there was no end credits, no mid credits or anything like that. They kind of just left yeah. it as is. Um, but we know now it's the highest grossing film ever made. It got somewhere close to $2.8 billion. Um, some of the kind of... I mean, it was dodgy when Avatar said that they did it. It's been a little bit dodgy with Infinity War saying that they did it because Avatar, what they did is that they kept re-releasing it. They kept re-releasing it and throwing 10 minutes on and eventually that all added up and that's how it made it all the way up there. It still would have made, I think, $2 billion without all of these re-releases and stuff like that. But I was yeah. reading the other day that apparently when um, Kevin Feige announced that Endgame had surpassed it and now with the highest grossing film of all time, it was at a Comic-Con. And he said, oh, we just realised, or Disney realised, that with their accounts that they didn't equate for something like $2 million worth of tickets one weekend. So actually we're now the highest grossing film. And I thought, oh, that's a bit, you know. Coincidentally, we found this $2 oh, million. We found this two million dollars worth of tickets in the in the sofa, and um, you know we're now we're now highest grossing film of all time. My question to you as well is just a, a just coming away from Avatar because you mentioned it. Uh, sorry, coming away from Marvel because you mentioned Avatar. Like, haven't they planned about five sequels? And one, are they filmed already? Two, what's taken so long? And three, is there going to be any more interest for them sequels now because they've left it so long? Because I tell you what, right, I'm not a fan of Avatar. I feel like it's all style and no substance. There's not actually much of a story going on. Um, yeah. It looks it looks pretty. And I tell you what, like, it looks really good on a Blu-ray. But in terms of the sequels and stuff, the first one was released in 2009. And yeah. I don't think they're releasing a sequel at least till 2021. So you're talking 12 years after the first one. Now, I know that there's the whole thing about nostalgia and all that kind of stuff. I don't know many people right now who are that bothered about Avatar anymore. And he spent, yeah. a, he spent a billion making the sequels. How many has he made? Is there going to be four more or something? Four Three more, more, I think. I'm four more, yeah. I've heard it goes to yeah. five. Has he, has he filmed them all? Are they all filmed? I think so. Because to be honest, I think the filming of that is similar to something like Tron Legacy, is that the filming takes a very short amount of time. It's the editing afterwards that takes the most amount of time. And even yeah. in this like kind of like COVID situation that we've got going on now, the people who are working on it can still do visual effects from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So to kind of come towards the end of this then. So the final one, the twenty third film, the where we are at this point now, um, mm. is Spider Man Far From Home. Yeah. So obviously sequel to Spider Man Homecoming, all the same people involved. The big one for me for this, the big surprise, and the kind of like, not as if I need an excuse to go and watch it, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. Yeah, I mean, he plays it well. Yeah, I like him. I like him. Um, He was supposed to be cast as Batman, wasn't he? But I think he got pinned. Mm -hmm. He talks about a lot of big roles that he just missed out on. Uh, So you might have been used to seeing him a bit more. But yeah, I like like him. Um, 
And uh, I think the film was really good as well, um, considering you had that big um, climax with Endgame. I think they did the, the best they could to sort of put a yeah. film out there that was still, you know, after that. It was still good quality. And Tom Holland does another good job. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. And I think we almost ended up in Mandarin territory, I think, because they did something <laughs> similar with the whole idea of like, oh, actually, Quentin Beck isn't Mysterio. He's yeah. not actually this powerful being. He's just this yeah. guy who's doing all this stuff and he wants to get back at Tony Stark. Um, yeah. Which I think at first irked me a little bit, but then I feel like they did all right with it in the end. I feel like it worked a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think... I mean, what were the end sequences to that film? So the first one was fantastic. I thought this was the best end sequence that we'd had in a very long time. So Peter Parker and MJ have just finished a date as they're in New York and Times Square and all that kind of stuff. And um, the news bulletin comes up on one of the big screens and they say, right, it's the Daily Bugle editor and it's bleeding J.K. Simmons from the old ones, the Raimi ones, back as J. Jonah Jameson. Um, and he says... Oh, we've we've got we've got this uh, uh, footage about Spider-Man and his true identity, and it's uh, Beck just before he dies or whatever happens to him, saying, um, yeah. I, "I know I know the true story about Peter Parker. Peter Parker is Spider-Man." And then it ends there, and it was like that's a really good tease that to the next one. And then the fact that they got J.K. Simmons back as J. John as Jameson was just great anyway. Yeah, yeah, he's good in it. And then the uh, the very last one was Nick Fury and Maria Hill are revealed to be Talos and Sorin in disguise, so the scrolls from uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, so I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that one. So it's, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because I just I, I I didn't expect it. I didn't expect that kind of crossover to happen. So is, is that mean Nick Fury's always been an imposter, or I don't say I wouldn't say that Nick Fury's always been an imposter. I would say that maybe there have always been two versions of him. Right. Yeah. Right then. Um so that's that kind of the end of that one. Got a couple more things we're gonna talk about, but first we'll do our high points and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for just for phase three, what's your high point? Phase three high point would be for Ragnarok. Nice, good choice. Uh, reason uh, for that is just the comedy aspect. Um Stories as good as ever, and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my high point is a bit of a cop-out. I'm putting Infinity War and Endgame together in a oh. double bill. Um, just because I'm, I keep meaning to do it, and I've not got around to doing it, where I just want to put Infinity War and Endgame together and just watch them, but I need six hours or something daft like that to do it. Yeah, I'm sure the cinema will do some sort of marathon night at some point. Yes, yes, get that in there. Yeah. Uh, what about your low point of phase three? Low points. Oh man, it's quite hard actually, isn't it? I thought, to be honest, I thought it was difficult. I mean, for me, it's easy because it's Ant Man and the Wasp, but you've not seen Ant Man and the Wasp, so I'm gonna go with Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, <laughs> it's an easy cop out, and you've just said that it's not the best. And Fine. So all of it saying point that way. So I'm gonna go with that, even though it was one of my high points. The last one. <laughs> Uh, your misunderstood points of the film that maybe others get wrong or don't like that you're a fan of. Now, I'm going with Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Now, this is a weird one because I think actually a lot of people like Black Panther and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter like Captain Marvel. But when I was putting the tournament together, they've got really low ratings on IMDb 
And I think that comes down to kind of your stereotypical white male audience going, oh, I don't like a black superhero. Oh, I don't like a female superhero. So actually, it's yeah, just like, yeah. get a get a grip. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so is, is this now what I would consider what people would say what sort of thing? Like, this is a, not yeah, a great so point. Like something that people don't like, but something that you do like. All right. Um um wouldn't like it's very hard to pick from sort of maybe dr strange because i i yeah. felt that, that yeah. was really good maybe it wasn't for some people um but i i really liked dr strange and i thought it, it was nailed on really some people might not like that type of superhero because it's not all action in some ways but i thought he played it really well the casting was bang on i think he's a good actor and i think it just worked yeah. well in that universe it gave a different type of superhero as well so it was good i'll go with that yeah good uh, hidden gem. Uh, so my yeah. hidden gem is Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah, uh, my hidden gem, I think, is going to be. I was gonna think maybe Captain Marvel. You know, I liked that okay. film. Yeah. Yeah, I go with that. Reasons for it is, I don't know. I felt that even though like the female lead, I thought Brie Larson did a good job there, and uh, yeah, it was good. The nineties vibe. It was cool. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was good in it. We've got a bit more airtime from him, which we haven't had in a while. Um, so for me, yeah, it works well. Yeah, good. Enough. Good. Yeah. Um, I think Spider-Man for me, because it sounds negative to say, but I think it's just a great little film. I think there's just something about it and that kind of teen element, teen genre film that's going on, you know. Um, I really like that. So then to kind of get it overall then, so if you think about your answers for the first lot and this lot, so what would be your overall MCU high point? So I think you picked Iron. Did you pick Iron Man for the first one? Yeah. And then Thor Ragnarok for this one. Yeah. So overall, do I pick a film that I think was the best out of the whole yeah. selection? I, I mean, you've got to. It's very difficult, isn't it? But I think you, you can't ignore the crescendo, which is the end game. Um, and yeah. for me, it just brings ten years of work for them anyway to conclusion. And I think they did a good job overall. So. It's definitely worth highlighting. Um, and I know people will say, well, that's the easy one to go to, but it weren't an easy thing what they did. And I think there was 10 years of sort of work then. It's never been done before making all these stories connect and it wasn't an easy thing to do. And I think they did it well. So yeah, I think yeah. the classic, but the obvious, but I'd go with Endgame. Yeah, I'm the same though, to be honest, yeah. Overall low point, I'm sticking with Iron Man 2 as being the kind of book. Iron Man 3 and the Mandarin for me. <laughs> Uh, your overall misunderstood point uh, I'm sticking with Age of Ultron yeah um, what do you mean by misunderstood though what bit did you not so understand you, you just picked Doctor Strange for that right oh yeah you mean people yeah, um, yeah. I'm sticking with it I'm sticking with it I think it's still a, uh, a gem in that way yeah um, and then hidden gem overall mine would still be Spider-Man Homecoming I think mm. What did hidden. you pick for your first slot, Hidden Gem? It was Ant-Man, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Do you want to stick with Ant-Man? Maybe that or Thor Ragnarok, but... Yeah? Yeah. I think I think Ant-Man was a gem, you know. I'd be happy to stick with Ant-Man, actually. Yeah. Oh. A lot of people have played it down, but I think it was a good film. Yeah, I liked it. Sorted. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to... I'll take you through the future, then, yeah. of where we're going to go from now. So, the future of the MCU... So, um, obviously, by now, we should have had Black Widow, or we should have been coming up to Black Widow. Um, that's now been pushed back to November. 
Um, we've got the Eternals, which is next February. I don't know much about the Eternals, apart from it's kind of like another big groupy team-up film. Yeah, same. That's what I've heard. Um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Again, don't know too much about that one. Uh, the untitled Spider-Man Far From Home sequel. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that because I'm a fan of this Spider-Man. Uh, that's November 2021. Shang-Chi is May 2021. Uh, going into 2022, I think this is really close together. There's a lot of stuff, and I feel like one of these is going to get pushed somewhere. It, so Thor, Love and Thunder is Feb 2022. Yeah. And then the month after, literally a month after, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is March 2022. Right. Um, and they've got Sam Raimi apparently directing that. That'll be quite dark, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then shortly after that, you've got Black Panther 2 in May, and then Captain Marvel 2 in July. So there's quite a lot then, but I feel like something's going to get pushed back, maybe because of production issues with Corona and all that nonsense. What did you say Is, then, mate? When's Blade? They've, there's no kind of release date for it yet. I did write it down, though, so obviously Blade's coming sometime soon with Mahershala Ali. Um, I know you watched Green Book recently, didn't you? Last film, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I watched True Detective Series 3 as well, so he's a really good actor. Yeah. Loved it, loved it. And I thought Viggo Mortensen did really well. It was, it was class. Yeah. Um, and then as well, like, just to kind of other things that might be coming up soon. So Marvel now have the film rights of X-Men, Deadpool and Fantastic Four because Disney now own Fox. Oh, right, yes. So we might be getting... Maybe, I mean, I'd imagine that they might just take Deadpool Ryan Reynolds and drop him in somewhere. Just for the comedy aspect. I can imagine him yeah. working well with Guardians. Yeah, and I feel like we're just going to get full-on reboots of X-Men and Fantastic Four. I think Fantastic Four has never been done properly. Like, the early ones with Jessica Alba and stuff or not, they probably were fit in their time, they were okay, but the reboot with Miles Teller and that were not very good, was it? So no. I think they need to yeah. do that. How are you feeling about MCU now? Like, are you if if they were to say to you that there was going to be a new one, would you go and watch it like tomorrow? Um, I'm I'm intrigued is the word I'm thinking. I think the, the like I said, the high point was Marvel uh, Endgame, and I really think now this is a test in time because they're they're probably like making billions. They've made a lot of money now for a lot like a few years, yeah. and this is going to be one of their big challenges because they've they've had the audience on the sort of hook for a while with. Thanos and things but that's gone now so they have to really think about what they can do and don't get me wrong they can they're, they're very good films they can make more comedies and but a lot of that has become known to the audience a lot of them expect that from a Marvel film so that's not going to be enough to see it through long term so they're going to have to bring some some sort of fresh ideas something a bit different and uh, maybe that's why they've chosen some obscure films like Eternals and things like that because it's a little bit more outside the box. And then I also question, where is it going to go long-term? And are these films going to be connected like the previous phases have been? Yeah, because I think, like, the big money films, so, you like, your Avengers teams up, team-ups and all that kind of stuff, maybe they've gone. Maybe we're not going to get another one like that, and they're going to kind of go for these smaller-scale ones, like something like Doctor Strange and in the, in the Multiverse of Madness. I think that it'll do well, but it's not... I can't imagine it going over a billion unless you're sticking somebody else in there with it. That's it. How do you um, propel it to the next level now? Yeah, that's it. Um, so I know that a lot of people mention things like fatigue, that like maybe people have got superhero fatigue. Are you, do you reckon you've got that? Or do you reckon you're just there for however long they're going to release them? 
I think for I, no, I can I can agree with that. I think I've not got. I'll watch them. I'll still watch them. I have got a little bit of fatigue though. Yeah, and I'm a big superhero film fan. I have got a little bit of fatigue, um, and not for any reason as the films are any worse. I'm just a little bit like I don't know. I think I think they're good, but they they do have similar patterns, don't they? You know yeah. the CGI and sort of the, the the films are not the same as the stories, but you do get the sort of same ingredients, don't you? In some mm. ways. And I'm looking for something a bit different. I mean, I like every now and again a little bit of a darker film. Uh, they're quite sort of, they're quite light and bouncy. That's why I'm looking forward to seeing Matt Reeves' uh, new Batman. Yeah. Uh, I'm really eager to see what he does with that um, because, yeah, obviously, I'm just looking for something a little bit darker um, at the minute. And I'd still watch all the Marvel films, but that's where I'm at. What about you? I, again, I just feel like because I'm so invested in it now and we're 20 film, uh, 23 films in that I'm going to go and watch anything they put out anyway just out of sheer interest and sheer whatever. But I won't necessarily say that I'm fatigued by it. I think that's that. It's difficult because in terms of films that someone's looking forward to, you always get these kind of like big tentpole films. And for me, the MCU was a kind of thing where I'd grown up with Harry Potter. I'd grown up with the Harry Potter books and the Harry Potter films. And that kind of capped off a neat sort of 10-year package of films from 2001 all the way to 2011. And then once 2011 was over, I'm just getting into, like, Thor and Captain America. And now that 10-year period-ish has just been capped off with Endgame. So now I'm wondering, if is there going to be something else that comes up, or am I still actually following this Marvel train? They've got to be clever, though, I, I think. Very clever. I think, if anything, out of the whole time Marvel's been created, they've got to really make sure their next steps are, are good steps because even though it's been a really profit, profitable business and, it, and it's grown and grown and grown, it can quite easily go the opposite way if the films that come out get um, a bit, like, sort of samey or people aren't, you know, thinking the same about them or the flair has gone from them or the audience have got a bit bored. So I think... Endgame was the climax. That for me was certain because the villain, it was building up to this great dictator and whatever. And there's going to be a, a way now where they've got to reinvent it. Uh, and that's long term as well. Where do they go with it long term? Because that's what kept the audience coming in because they were like, oh, but how does this connect then? If I miss one, then I'm going to be missed out the series. People didn't want to do that. They wanted to make sure they were up to date. So it's got to be, I don't know, where do they go with it now? It's yeah. interesting. It's really interesting, interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, right, so I'm just going to go through a couple of things. So we did a tournament on Twitter, uh, getting people to vote on what they thought was the best. And this ended up being split into like five different rounds. Um, and I did it off the IMDB re- uh, sort of ratings and kind of seeded them that way in the kind of American style. And some of the ratings are absolute, you know, what's going on here? Um, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll just take you through the matches and I'll just tell you who won them. So okay. round one. Uh, first one was Iron Man 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Iron Man 3 won that one. Uh, match 2, Age of Ultron and Captain America First Adventure, and that was uh, Age of Ultron. Match 3 was Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor The Dark World. Homecoming went through there. Round 1, which I thought was a tough one, actually, match 4, Black Panther and Thor. Um, Black Panther went through there. Round 1, match 5, was Doctor Strange and Incredible Hulk. Round one, match six, was Ant-Man and Iron Man 2, and Ant-Man went through there. Doctor Strange went through for Incredible Hulk. 
Yeah. And then the last one for round one was Far From Home and Captain Marvel, another difficult one. Far From Home went through there. So you lost th- the first Thor and Captain Marvel in that first round then. Um, so then round two was the kind of introduction of the bigger ones. So like Infinity War against Iron Man 3 for the first match. So Infinity War went through there. I think that was obvious. Um, and I, I kind of messed this up a little bit as well. I'm not going to lie. So I'm going to come to these two in a minute. But um, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron. Guardians won 100%. No one voted for Ultron in that match. Yeah. Um, Endgame against Black Panther. There's a tough one. But Endgame came out of that one. Captain America, Civil War against Doctor Strange. Civil War went through. Avengers against Ant-Man. Avengers went through. And then Ragnarok against Far From Home. Ragnarok, Ragnarok went through. Now, there were two matches that I decided to call early because I thought I figured who'd won out. And then within the last two minutes of the vote and me tweeting the next round, somebody voted and it made them both a tie. So there was a four-way split between Winter Soldier, Guardians 2, Iron Man, and Spider-Man Homecoming. So I had right. to kind of shuffle it around a little bit. So then the next round ended up being... Um, Infinity War against Winter Soldier and Infinity War won that 100%. Guardians of the Galaxy against Spider-Man Homecoming and that was just Guardians. Endgame Civil War, Endgame won that 100%. And then Avengers versus Thor Ragnarok and Thor Ragnarok won that one. And then I had to do a wild card for this one that didn't get through. So either Iron Man or Guardians and Iron Man won that one. So then round four, so we're on to semi-finals now. Three-way match Infinity War, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Iron Man, and Iron Man won that. Oh! No, I know I was surprised by that. And then round four, match two, was Avengers Endgame and Thor Ragnarok, and Endgame won that. Mm. So then the final, talk about a kind of like nice little neat package here. First film. First film versus the last film, Iron Man versus Endgame, and you know what happened? Iron Man won. No. 50-50. 50-50. Bloody ah! 50-50 split. So I'm just going to call it and say that Endgame wins. Well, can you do that? Yeah, I mean, that's, I just oh, did. that's good. Oh, no. I don't know. I think I'm one of the people that's a bit like, yeah, about it. But Endgame, oh, it's got to be Endgame, hasn't it? Oh, what was right. The Iron Man 3, how did that get through? <laughs> this is the last thing that I'm going to do because I feel like we've been here for ages. <laughs> I know, mate. I've I've got fatigue. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we were talking about as the kind of big end question that if you were going to rewatch them all, if you got time to rewatch 23 films, how would you do? So would you do it in release order? So the order that the films are released, and apparently, obviously, that's the way where the Easter eggs work best and they fall better together and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I found on Twitter a machete order, which I think is pants, to be honest. So it's Captain America, Captain Marvel, Iron Man 1 and 2, Incredible Hulk, Thor, Avengers, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier, Guardians 1 and 2, Ultron, Ant-Man. So I don't know why you move Guardians 2 so far up. Ant-Man, Civil War. Spider-Man Homecoming, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Endgame, Far From Home. Yeah. Um, Right, and then the massive one, I found this on Digital Spy, right? So this is crazy, this, and this includes the TV shows as well. Yeah. 
So, Captain America First Avenger, Agent Carter Season 1, Agent Carter Season 2, Captain Marvel, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, The Hulk, and then they've, they've included the one-shots as well, the kind of short films that they put on the DVDs, so there's some of them in there. Um, so, Hulk, Thor, Avengers, Iron Man 3, then you do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, the first seven episodes, Thor The Dark World, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the next six episodes, Captain America Winter Soldier, then more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Guardians 1, Guardians 2, then Season 1 of Daredevil, which is just great. Why like, did you find that? Because they're just including the TV shows, aren't they? Right. They're saying that as if they're in the MCU. I mean, you watched Daredevil, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's mint, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, so Daredevil Season 1 in there. Uh, then... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, first 10 episodes. Jessica Jones Season 1, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., back to that. Avengers Age of Ultron, more S.H.I.E.L.D. Daredevil, half of Season 2, or a little bit of Season 2. It goes it goes like Daredevil, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Luke Cage. And then you get to Ant-Man. Then there's a few more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then there's Bleeding Iron Fist. I think we can all leave that one off the list. <laughs> My God. Uh, Captain America, <laughs> Captain America: Civil War, couple more Agents of Shield, The Defenders, which actually I did quite like, to be fair. Um, more Agents of Shield, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, more Agents of Shield. Shield There's hell? been this is season four so far. I think I think they're up to seven. Oh my um, god! I didn't watch it. No, did you? Oh, no, no. Um, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Thor: Ragnarok. Then you're into like Inhumans, Punisher. Runaways, Jessica Jones, Cloak and Dagger, the rest are basically the TV shows, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Infinity War, the rest of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Marvel's Runaways, Endgame, and then Spider-Man Far From Home. I mean, I ain't going to go through and do all the TV shows <laughs> again. Oh, man. Yeah, but apparently it's something to do with like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5 ends concurrently with Infinity War, so I'm wondering if maybe some of them died at the end of that season. And then Probably. Season 6 take place it takes place in the five year jump for endgame so that's why that makes sense but yeah it's complicated right well that's it mate the end of the mcu three hours and 37 minutes of a team's call (laughs) (laughs) okay that's it all right, mate. Uh, well, thank you very much. I'm just going to say no, this to wrap the podcast up and they'll pre- we'll pretty much just carry on a little bit of a conversation, but yeah. Right. Okay, no, no worries. Thanks for me, mate. All right, mate. I will uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, see you in a bit, mate. Hey, mate. Let me know when you're doing your next one. Okay, so that wraps up our chat about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thank you very much for listening to both part one and part two of this podcast. Thank you very much to Sam for joining me. I'll be returning to the franchise series soon, but starting next week, I'm going to start what's going to be a teenage film thread for the next month or so, as I provide the required learning and commentaries for both Rebel Without a Cause and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, return to the auteur series for a look at the films of John Hughes, and next week I head back to the genre series to discuss the key themes and conventions of the teen genre. You can help support Farrandon Film by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Film, by following us on Twitter at Farrandon Film, by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Film and leaving a five-star review at your favourite podcast provider. 
Stay safe, stay indoors, look after each other, and I will see you next time.